Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. As we get started today, this is such an interesting series that we're starting. Um, this month of September, our series is called Loser. Look at your neighbor and say, Loser. Man, y'all said it all sad. Loser. Loser, loser, loser. And when I was planning, I, I usually plan out the, the year before the, the series for the next year. And so it was around November, October of 2018 that I was planning for 2019. And as we were praying and um, planning um, for September, I, didn't, I don't always have uh, an exact title. I often change the titles because I get more creative as I'm entering into that month. But I have the idea written out. And what's interesting is that for September last year, I planned for this September to be a time to talk about how to deal with loss, how to, be, how to deal with pain, how to deal with suffering. And just like I've been sharing with you guys, the last couple months has been a very excruciating time for a lot of people in our church. It's been painful. Even this morning, our daughter Joy, right when we're about to leave, I almost start, I started thinking in my head, man, if I just didn't eat that peanut butter sandwich before we left, if I didn't drink that mug of milk, she wouldn't have tripped and fell and busted both of her lips right before church today. And she had blood coming all out of her mouth. And she was crying, so it started coming out of her nose. It was horrible. And man, I just feel like every week has had something. Do y'all know what I'm saying? And this, this series is, is almost timely. Because when you get beat up over and over and over, you start to believe that that's just your destiny. That you just... That's just what my life is. I'm a loser. And that word loser, it, it kind of strikes a chord with me personally. I don't know if it's ever struck a chord with you. Um, but I remember there's someone that I admired in my life growing up, even before I gave my life to Christ. And this person would always talk about other people as being losers. You know anyone like that? Just like whenever they talk about someone, oh, that person's a loser. Oh, that person's a loser. And for me, I, I admired this person so much. And then one day I left thinking, oh, my gosh, what if, what if they think I'm a loser? They're saying all this stuff about other people. What if they think the same thing about me when I'm not there? And it actually became this label that kind of hung over me. And how many of you guys have labels that you put on yourself? Yeah? You know, before. Before we get into those labels, before we can get into our title today, I want to read you all this verse in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 12. Isaiah 28, verse 12, it says, let's wait anticipating. God has told his people, here is a place of rest. Let the weary rest here. This is a place of quiet rest but they would not listen this is a place of rest a place for the weary but they would not listen 
So part one of our loser series today, it's called I Am Now. Look at your neighbor and say, I am now. I am now. That could mean so many different things, right? Are you mad? I am now. (laughs) Are you okay? I am now. Are you listening? I am now. And I want you to think about this idea of rest. This idea of rest. Do you know that the Bible talks a lot about rest? It talks about heaven being a place of rest. It talks about the presence of God giving us rest. And even Jesus talks about how the same way that this verse is talking about, that he gives rest to the weary. Those who are heavy burden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus talks about that. And I want, I want to ask you this question and ask yourself this in your mind and your heart. How restless do you feel in your life? How restless do you feel in your life? And I feel like this, this idea of restlessness, it settles on you and it sticks to you. You start noticing that day to day you just feel tired. Maybe not even sleepy tired, you just feel heavy. You feel burdened. You feel restless. And especially when you have all of these lies and labels that you carry. You know, just like I was saying a second ago, that that label of being a loser, that fear of being a loser, fearing what you might be and you have nothing to do about it. And I want you to ask yourself, what what labels have you been believing about yourself? What lies have you been believing about yourself? And because we are a transparent church, I'll share with you some of the labels that I've had in my life. Can I share them with you and none of y'all judge me? These these are the labels that I had for myself for years and years and years. And they would just repeat in my head over and over. And it always was like, I am just blank. I'm just a blank. And for the longest time, I was a destroyer. I was a womanizer. I was a bully. I was an addict. I was an attacker, a manipulator, a liar. I was a thief. I was a loser. Those are the labels that just would always go in my head. And times where I didn't want to be those things... I'd hear this voice, this like inner, inner thought says, well, that's just who you are. You know what I'm talking about? That's just who you are. You just destroy things. You ruin everything. That's just what you do. No one could love you because you just, you just destroy things. You're unlovable. And one thing that I've realized, these labels that we hold on to, they can be so burdensome. They can be so burdensome. And they're, they weigh on you so heavy. And it's like you're just trying to go through life. And every time you make a mistake, every time you're even tr- trying to do the right thing, you feel those labels just coming back and you're trying to peel them off. I remember I was in wrestling in high school, um, my junior year of high school. And it was the first year that I ever did wrestling. But I was a really aggressive teenager. And so I ended up being really good at it. And 
I, I remember the first match I had, I, I was dominating this kid. And I was just, the whole time I was just, it looked like I was, you know, just in practice or something because it was just so easy. And I was just, I, I was eating it up like, man, I am in total control. You ever feel like that at a moment? I'm in total control. I got this in the bag. And I remember I, the final move I was putting him into, I'd already ranked up so many points in the match. And I had put him in a cradle move. For those of y'all who don't know that this move in wrestling, it's pretty much where you get in one arm, you have the person's head, and the other arm, you have their, their knee. And you bring them together. And it's like if you would imagine cradling a baby, except great cradling a grown person. It's the most humiliating move <laughs> besides the ball and chain. But that's another story. It's... It's a humiliating move, and I had him in this move, and, and I remember I was just, while I had it, it's like time slowed down, and I felt like the referee was counting so slow, because in wrestling, if you have someone on their back for three seconds, you just win, and I remember I had, he was on his back, both shoulder blades were touching the mat, and it was just like, you know, when everything spaces out, and he's, whoa, <laughs> And in that short time span, which felt like forever, I was like, why is this guy taking so long? I went from being so confident to all of a sudden this inner voice in my, in my heart, in my head that said, you really think you're going to win your first match? You can't do that. You're a loser. You don't win things like that. And I remember I felt fear just come from head to toe all over my body. And it's like I, I almost froze. And in that second, the guy flipped me and pinned me. In it. And when that referee counted that time, I was like, one, two, three, boom. <laughs> and it, it just all of a sudden, everything left me. And that label just paralyzed me. I just thought, man, this is my destiny. And... Even though I would, be, I would just dominate people in practice, whenever I'd go out to a match, I'd be so afraid and so fearful that I, I would always end up losing because I'd be, all that confidence would leave and that label would determine my fate. And I started thinking, this is just, I just can't win things in public. I just can't do it. And see, we have these labels that they become so tiresome and so heavy, and you start to believe it to be true. And that's really how the devil works. The devil works at manipulating us to believe that we're less than the image of God he created us to be. Go all the way back to the garden, and what did the devil tell Eve to tempt her to eat the forbidden fruit? He said, if you do this, you will be like God. He said it with a, a lisp because he is a snake. You'll be, well, I guess you don't really have an opportunity for a lisp there. <laughs> There's no, you'll be like God. <laughs> Had his little tongue messing around, detecting heat in the area. <laughs> that's what snakes do. <laughs> they detect heat <laughs> with their tongues. <laughs> you'll be like God. And, and that was enough to convince Eve that she wasn't what God created her to be. 
If you do this, then you'll be like God. But when you just go a couple of verses before, when God created man, he said that he created them in the image of God. See, he was bribing her with something that she already had. If you do this, then people will like you. If you do this, then you'll find love. If you do this, then you'll be accepted. If you do this, then they'll promote you. If you do this, you'll finally be able to sleep at night. If you do this, you'll finally stop feeling so anxious, depressed, stressed out all the time. If you just do this. Everyone's had those thoughts, right? See, that's how the devil tries to get us. Well, if you just do this, my friend, everything will be all right. And then you do it. And you feel the same thing that Eve felt. You feel naked. You feel like you lost something. You, instead of going about normally in your day, you end up hiding in your day. You isolate yourself. You feel more alone than before you did it. You feel stuck. And this identity that we have, we're so insecure about who we are. So lost about who we really are. And, and that's why the devil is able to just tempt us into things. To believe that we're less than the image we were created to be. See, that's what it was for these labels that I carried. I remember when I started stealing, I would steal all the time because that's who I was. When I started drinking, doing drugs, I did it excessively. Abundantly. Because that's who I was. When I started fighting, I wanted to fight everybody. Even if they weren't looking for a fight, I was looking for it for them. Because that's who I was. Those labels determined my actions. And no matter what we're trying to do, we're either trying so hard to run from these labels or run straight to them. And the more that we believe the more that we accept these labels the more empty that we feel that fear just dominates us and the worst part is when you get to a point where you just say to yourself well this is just how i am this is just who i am i'm just i'm just a loser i'm just a drunk i'm just an addict that's just who i am i'm just lonely that sit with anybody I'm just lonely that's who I am I don't get along with people like other people get along with it's harder for me to fit in everyone's think, thought that before right and this idea that we have to accept this label it's almost like we consider these labels our birthright it's just the deck of hands that I got dealt. You know, for the longest time, I would tell people, I don't drink anymore because I have an addictive personality. I can't just have one drink. Like when I think of, man, if I were to start drinking again, some people think like, man, a beer sounds nice. My wife and I, we, talk, we don't drink anymore because we both used to have um, bad problems. But now when we even talk about it, because we... Yeah, but once you have kids, you understand why everyone has a glass of wine, right? <laughs> and there's times where after a long day, you're like, God dang, I could 
chill out for a minute right now. And she's like, man, a beer sounds nice. And I'm just like, dang, I was just going straight for the bottle. Like, I was thinking of shots. I didn't even consider beer. I just go zero to 10. And so I just told myself, well, I'm, I just have an addictive personality. I can't just have one. And we have these labels that we're just holding on to. It's like, well, this is just how I am now. I, this is just who I am now. And what's so hard about breaking out of those labels is that it takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe that you really were created in the image of God, doesn't it? It takes a lot of faith to believe that you actually really do have a purpose that's bigger than being a manager at McDonald's, right? It's hard to believe that. It's hard to believe that you have a purpose to make a difference in the world. It's hard to believe that your life is meaningful. It's hard to believe that. It takes a tremendous amount of faith. And because of the times that we've come up short, guilt sends us into this hiding place, into that restlessness. And have you noticed that those times where you just try to run away from God because you feel like you're just too tired and that you're not strong enough, that you still feel even more restless than before? You stop trying, you stop pursuing, and you feel more tired than when you were actually trying to get close to him. You notice that? It's like you, your soul feels empty all the time. You feel restless all the time. The joy you get now is only when you go to this or that, but you can't just be content by yourself. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I think that the, the way that the devil works is that the way he tempts us away from God is that he promises to give us that rest. If you do this, you'll finally be satisfied. That's what he's telling Eve. There's something you've been searching for deep in your heart, but if you come to me, you'll finally find what you're looking for. You'll be satisfied. I did the wrong list, but... <laughs> you'll be satisfied. Because he is a, he's a snake. Y'all get it, right? And any time that we actually give into it, those times where you feel actually tempted and you don't want to do that sin, you don't want to do that thing, when you actually give into it, you feel imprisoned, you feel guilty, you feel alone, and you feel like you can't approach God anymore. But right before, it's like, man, this is what I need right now. This feels so good. You start believing what the devil said. You start talking like him. <laughs> and it's this idea that faith will leave us empty. That, that faith, if we follow after faith, it, we're going to come up short. It's not going to satisfy us in the end. But if we just allow sin, it will give us that satisfaction. And see, the Bible, did you know that the Bible tells us completely different? The Bible tells us that faith always satisfied, but sin always leads to death. But deep down, don't we believe the opposite? 
Don't we believe the complete opposite? That, man, I don't want to really give all of myself to God because I'm scared that I can't trust him. I'm scared that I'm going to lose something if I really go all the way with God. I want to hold on to this because I'm scared of going all the way with God. I'm scared of giving faith my everything. We, we think that faith leads to death when it's only sin that leads to death. And the only rest that we can have from all of our running can only be found in Christ. Did you know that his presence is just so simply satisfying? That's why I, I love worship because for me, I mean, I did a lot of drugs, like a lot of drugs. And it cannot compare, every high that I've felt cannot compare to a moment in the presence of God. And I'm being serious. I'm not trying to pull anyone's leg or, or make it seem like the, the, the presence of God is, is fake. It, it's just real. And why, why would I leave all the pleasures of sin? I mean, in no way have I ever told anybody that sin is not pleasurable. Why did I get high before? Because it made me feel good, right? Some of you are like, yep. <laughs> but why, why would I give that up? Because the presence of God was so much sweeter. And I want to read you all this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 through 13. It says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, someone say grew up. grew up. I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. The final verse. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. See, the, what this verse is saying, the reason I wanted to share this with you is because Paul is describing this pursuit of life as childish. He's saying, everything that I ran to before was not worth it. I just was acting like a child. I did not know what I did not know. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And that's really what faith is like. It's like, once I came to know who Christ was, I was like, oh my God, how come no one told me about this? I thought this was just like a fairy tale. I just thought it was an idea. It was just so that you could have hell insurance. So that way we wouldn't go to hell. But no one told me about how this is an actually satisfying relationship to have with God. No one told me anything like that. It was just this religion game. And Paul is saying, I was just acting like a child. I didn't know any better. But now that I've grown up, I've realized the realities of life. Have you ever noticed that at every stage of life you have problems, but they're just different than the stage before? Most teenagers feel like their parents don't understand them because whenever they talk about their problems, their parents just say, like, those aren't problems. Those aren't real problems. Wait till you pay taxes. Then you'll realize what, what real problems are in the world. 
But see, the thing is, they don't know what they don't know. To them, they're at the peak of their age group of problems. When you're a child, your problems are even greater. My daughter cries so much. When we have a TV show on Word Party, and we, not even that we turn it off, but it goes to the credits and it's waiting for the next episode to play. That five seconds, my daughter starts screaming and crying. She's, and I just hear it in her pitch. I can't believe you would do this to me. This show has given me so much joy and you just want to take it away? I've got nothing else, Dad. Why would you do that? My life is so hard. I just hear it. But as an adult, now that I've grown up, I realize that there's more than this credit waiting period of five seconds. But see, the thing is, every point of life, our problems seem like they're at their peak. The bummer is that that tells us that our problems will, that these problems won't be as bad in the future because we'll have bigger and badder problems. You ever talk to like a, an elderly person and you tell them like what you're going through and they're just polite like, oh, well, you'll get through it. <laughs> they don't give you advice or nothing. It's like, oh, bless your heart. You'll get through it. <laughs> because they already know how much more trauma life has ahead. They know that the problems you're going through right now can't compare to the problems you'll have in the future. But see, there is something satisfying. When Jesus tells us, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All of those who, you, who are burdened, I will give you rest. That means that at whatever age we're at in life, we can come to Jesus and he promises to give us rest. And what's amazing, so amazing about Jesus is that he doesn't even tell us that our problems are stupid. He doesn't tell us that our problems are dumb. You know, for the first time, just, just a, last month, for the first time in my Christian life, I asked God to bless me financially. I'm, I'm, I asked God to bless me more than just my basic needs. I had never prayed that before because I felt ashamed of all that God has already done for me in my life. How could I ask him for something more than just my basic necessities? I, I would, I would, every time I would write about to get there, I was like, man, I should just ask. I need to pray to God. I need to bring this to God. I would start thinking about, man, there's people in third world countries that just saw their entire family murdered in front of them with machetes. And I'm here asking for financial help. I'm ridiculous. And I would, I would receive my prayer. I wouldn't pray it. And it was just, just this last month. And I was, I was just really struggling in my mind. I was like, man, I was looking at all of our bills and all the things that... And I was getting stressed out. Y'all know how y'all get, right? And you stressed out in your head. And that's how I was. And I was like, man, maybe I need to, maybe I need to ask my dad for this or that. And I was, I was starting to try to think of different options. And I felt like God, the Holy Spirit just told me, you've already asked everybody else. Why don't you just ask me? And my heart felt so softened at that moment. 
because originally I would, I thought, man, God, if I bring you this and ask for rest, you're going to laugh at me. You're going to tell me I'm a spoiled brat because other people have it worse. How can I ask you for this? See, God, when he says that first, he doesn't say, come all me who are really heavy burdened. <laughs> I mean, like really, really heavy burdened. And I'll give you rest. He doesn't put a standard on that burden. It's so liberated. Any kind of burden you feel, he says, I'll give you rest for it instead. A child that comes up says, God, I'm heavy burdened. Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you rest. Snot-nosed teenager. What's up, Julian? <laughs> <laughs> Goes to God, and God says, I'll give you rest. A middle-aged person that's pissed off at the world because life has been so hard. And God says, I'll give you rest. An older elderly person feels like that their whole life wasn't what it was out to be and they're afraid of what the ending is going to be like. Afraid of loneliness, feeling like everything that they earn, everything that they work for is less than what they felt like they should have got. And God says, I'll give you rest. Every stage of life, every point, Jesus says, I will give you rest. And it's just that, that part of whether or not we're ready to listen. Some will say, I am now. I am now. And I want to just obliterate this fear that we have. We, we've been living like God doesn't want us. We pray like God's not listening. That he's not seeing us. We act like we're abandoned children that God just feels like he has to take care of, but he doesn't want to. And it's hard to receive this love because it takes faith. It takes trust just like everything else. And I want you to think about what, what it is that you've been living like. Living in this way where you feel like God isn't listening, that he's not seeing. I mean, don't our prayers even seem like that? Who in the world do you talk to the way that we pray to God? Hey, Brian, I just want to thank you, Brian, for being Brian. And Brian, I also want to say... Uh, thank you for being here today, Brian, and just be my friend later on, Brian. Is that okay, Brian? Okay. <laughs> Does that sound like anything? Father God, I just thank you, God, for being who you are, God, and I ask that, God, you be here today, God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We don't even know how to pray because we're so nervous of talking to God that we feel like he's not really listening to us. Have you ever just slowed down and make your prayer like a conversation and just be like, God, I really don't know what to do. I don't know how to pray this the right way, but look, this is what's going on. I'm really freaked out right now. I don't know what to do, but I need you to do something. 
Doesn't that sound like a much more genuine prayer than a nervous prayer to somebody that you've never met? See, God wants us to talk to him, to live like he's there with us. And this idea of believing it in faith, I want you to think about what faith is. Receiving something in faith is just like receiving a cup of water from somebody in this world. They just, leave, they just put it right out for you and you just take it and drink it. And it's hard to 100% believe that this faith, this cup of faith that we're supposed to drink is satisfying to us. It has like a delayed response sometimes, doesn't it? You ever take a delayed Tylenol pill? Delayed response. One time I took, before I gave my life to Christ, delayed Adderall pill. I wasn't saved, and so I snorted it. <laughs> and I thought, man, this thing didn't work at all. I don't feel anything. And then a couple hours later, my friend said, hey, you want to play basketball? I don't even like basketball. I hate it. I have no rhythm. It's just not my sport. I played for seven hours. <laughs> Because there's a delayed response. I've never been so sore in my life. I didn't even know my calves could feel like that. I lost every match. I said, let's play again. Let's play again. And see, faith feels like that sometimes where you... You initially put it out there and you're like, I didn't see anything. I prayed so hard and I didn't see anything happen. And you just go on with your life and you don't even realize that that prayer is activated weeks later. You don't even realize that God is walking with you and it's such a more deeper impact. that You don't even realize the blessings that are around you. You ever take a moment where you had a job that weeks later you realize you weren't qualified for? And you're like, oh, shoot. I just realized that everybody else here has a degree. You know, there's, there's so many times where our prayers are delayed response. And we, we don't see it right away that we, we just throw up our hands and we think, man, we lost out on something. And that's the fear of giving, giving all that we are to faith, hope, and love. In marriage, why don't people give all of themselves in love? Because they're afraid that they're not going to see the return. They're afraid that it's going to come back empty. That they're going to lose. Why do people not hope for something? With this tragedy that we just experienced in our church. You know that out of the, there's, there's multiple different pastors and priests that went to go comfort and pray for Russell and Stephanie and their family at the hospital. And I was, I was so enraged when they told me that I was the only one that prayed for Russell to get up. Everyone else said, well, maybe we should be praying for you guys to just accept the tragedy already. Mm-hmm. And why, why do pastors and priests do that? Because they don't want to see someone so let down if their hope isn't answered. They don't want to see someone so let down. And they think, well, maybe if I put too much hope out there and it's not answered by God, 
then they'll run away from God because he didn't answer. And so I'm going to do God a favor and hold the hope back and hold the faith back so that they won't become too discouraged. But let me tell you something. I never prayed so hard with a family before in my life. And even now, even as, as difficult as it is, I can 100% tell you that I've never seen somebody's faith so strong before in my life. And they would not tell you that because they feel weaker than any other moment in point of history. But I could see it. And see, that's the thing about faith, hope, and love is that no matter how much you give out, it always comes back. It always grows. It doesn't run empty. Let me read y'all this verse again. It says that the greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. It's, Paul just got done talking about all the miracles that he could do. And if he didn't have love, it'd be meaningless. It says all, of the, all that this world has to offer, the greatest things you could ever possibly have is faith, hope, and love. Why would he say that? Because it doesn't diminish. It doesn't stop. And I want to urge you, you've been afraid. So many of us have been afraid of losing in our faith, of losing in our hope and losing in our love. But there's no way that you can give out more love and then not do something. There's no way that you can give out more faith and then not do something. There's no way you can give out more hope and then not do something. But we're just so afraid that we're going to be losers at the end. One of the best pieces of advice that I heard somebody ever give another person. And they said, I'm, I'm praying for my, my family member. But they're really, I just can't get them to, they don't want to go to church. They, they don't even want me to talk about God. How do I get, win them to Christ? How do I show them? And this person responded, just love on them. Just love on them. You're going you're gonna to show them what the love of God really is like. And that is the best advice I ever heard. Just love on them the way that God loved you. Those labels that we have before. Did you know that God turns every weapon that the enemy forms against us and he turns it around on him? Every label that you had that the enemy tried to give you, God has turned it around into something else. In 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 17, it says, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. The next verse. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Every single one of us have this new identity in Christ. That's one of the reasons why our church's name is Gravetop. 
because our old selves are literally dead and a new person has risen up. We were dead before, but now we're alive. And this idea of being a new person, those labels that I told y'all before, those were deep in my heart. You know, can I share with you what those, those labels are now that I, I really believe that God has turned into? See, before I was the destroyer, and now I'm a builder. Before I was a womanizer, but now I am a lover. I am a father. I'm a husband. I cherish my wife. Before I was a bully, now I'm an encourager. Before I was an addict, now I'm a liberator. Before I was an attacker, now I'm a defender. Before I was a manipulator and a liar, but now I'm a truth teller. Before I was a thief and now I'm generous. Before I was a loser and now I'm a victor. See, everything, all those labels that the devil tries to remind you and paint you with. And you just got to say, well, I am now who I am now. God's saying, do you believe me? Say, I do now. I want us to, can I just take one more minute to yell at (laughs) y'all? Guys, we need to get a little more angry about who we are now. We need to be a little more passionate about who we are now. There's, There's so many people that don't know who you are now. Because you're still labeling yourself of who you used to be. You are a cherished and loved person of Christ. And it is our duty to show that faith, hope, and love to others. Where else will they find it? Where else? Buddha? Meditating? If anyone here has meditated long enough to where you feel like all of your life is fixed now, you should teach instead of me. Because I used to do meditations and all that. And it helped me not become a psychopath at some point. And I was like, oh, I can control these voices in my head to just be in one place. All right. But see, the presence of God is so much more than our manipulated tactics of trying to recreate God's spirit. It's so much stronger. And can I just urge you? Just try the presence of God. The way that you would try anything else. Try the presence of God with desperation. With desperation. You know, when we were praying in this hospital room. There's a desperation in that place. And in in the midst of death, we could feel a peace. We could feel God's presence. And we have those moments where it's desperate times that call for desperate prayers. But when those moments leave us, we go back to just our normal living. And we don't live like we're desperate for God to do something in our lives. 
And I'm, I'm tired, guys. I'm so tired. I don't want to just have church just to have church. I, I want church to be where when we come here to gather together, that we are expectant for something to happen. That we look at this moment that on a Sunday, that that day is so meaningful and purposeful. That's something that we were desperate to get to that week. And so many times, we, it just becomes another day of the week. It becomes our religion. It becomes our routine. And there's nothing desperate about it. We need to get to a deeper place, but it, it's going to take a revelation in all of us to be more desperate for the presence of God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Let's all stand up to our feet. This is part one of our loser series. And throughout your week, I want you to, to remember this idea. I am now. Because I, I think that the devil questions us. Do you really think that you're going to be able to do this? I am now. You really think that you could live this Christian life? I am now. Do you really think that your marriage is going to work out? I do now. Do you really think that your family is going to have a change? I do now. Can we, can we believe that the faith that we pour out and hope for is actually meaningful? Some say, yeah. Yes. yeah. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. With everyone here, if today you've been holding a label over your head and you need to pick up this new identity in Christ, whatever it is for you, if you just right now have this, this urge in your heart to find a commitment to Christ that you did not have before, a relationship with God that wasn't there, with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. I see your hand. I want us all to pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm not a loser. I am loved by you. I'm not who I used to be. I am who you called me to be. I will rise up because I'm listening now. I hear you now. I see you now. You died for me, and I want to live for you. It was on the cross that you paid for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And from this point forward, I want to live a new life with you. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.